I like that phrase, wartime hospitality. Amen. May 2011 be the year of wartime hospitality for here at Lake Road. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me and open to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And let's start in verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to think, even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, I think of that song that we sang this morning, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Lord, we confess, I confess, that when my eyes are on Christ, things are so different, Lord. When I get my eyes off of my failures and successes and everything else and put my eyes on Jesus, It changes everything. And so, Lord, our greatest desire this morning, our greatest desire is that Your Holy Spirit would come and that You would fix our eyes on Christ. I pray we would be so preoccupied with Christ and His will and what He's doing and becoming like Him that we would forget everything else. Help us, Lord, to be focused in these distracted days. Help us not to be given to lesser things, even good things. Help us to be given to the right things. And I pray this morning that You would use Your Word to that end. That people would be edified. The saints would be built up. Another brick would be placed on the wall as we're becoming one new man in Christ. I pray for grace. I think of Charles there in Sedalia. I pray for help for that meeting. I pray you would encourage that flock this morning. Lord, would you have a special word for them? We pray for clear air and for great grace to be upon them. I think of Ryan and them down there in Columbia uh, this morning meeting together. I pray you would meet with them. Make your word real and alive. Grant it success. Lord, we don't want to just meet together to meet together. We want to meet with the living God and be changed. So we ask to that end that you would help this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. 
I want to speak to you today on the subject of God's will for your life or the will of God. Um, this is a, a very sensitive subject, and in my experience, it comes up among Christians uh, more than any other, just about more than any other. Uh, I've seen some folks almost go mad over this subject, and a couple of those times I was looking in the mirror. Uh, it's, it's a big subject, and, and it's especially pressing during your early years. It's especially pressing. And that's who I'm burdened for this morning. I don't think anyone, I trust with the help of the Lord, that anybody's going to have any trouble applying these principles of what I hope to, that we'll see from God's Word this morning to numerous situations, no matter what age bracket that you're in. But I'm burdened specifically this morning for younger folks um, that are facing a lot of these types of issues and things like that. And so... Especially when we get to the application section, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean heavy in that direction. But again, I trust and I hope and pray that, that nobody's going to have trouble applying these principles um, from the Bible. Uh, the verse before us is incredible. The verse that I want us to look at is verse 17. He says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now that is an incredible statement because what Paul is saying at stake here is not that understanding God's will for your life is some side issue that could be helpful, but you're going to be able to make it without it. What Paul is saying is that understanding God's will for your life is the only other option unless you want to be foolish. So the stakes are high here. This is not just some subject where when we're asking God, what is your burden? What's the big thing? What's your big will for my life? What, what's my purpose? What am I to be aiming at? Yes, there may be some other things over here, uh, some side things, some, some sub things, but what's your will, your will for my life? What's the emphasis? The stakes are high. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the question that you have to face before this text this morning is do you understand God's will for your life? Do you understand God's will for your life? And thinking about God's will and this subject, we almost always start with the particulars. We start with things like geography. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to go? Or we start with um, careers and school. You know, where, what's God's will in terms of where I'm supposed to go to college or what I'm supposed to major in? Or then after that, what my career is supposed to be? Or we start in the realm of people. What is God's will in terms of who I'm supposed to marry? And so we start with these particulars, but the question that I want to ask us this morning, the question that I want us to look into is when the New Testament writers address this subject, do they emphasize these types of things or do they emphasize something else? And in discerning what the New Testament writers emphasize, we'll be able to have our focus. All right. So let's begin here with Ephesians 5. We started in verse 9 when I, when I originally read this text because that's where Paul's thought, uh, thought starts um, in one way that ends in this section. He says, for, the fruit, uh, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
So again, Paul grounds all of this, this whole discussion in what's happened to you. It's not as though when you became a Christian, you decided to do something you've never done. You became something you never were. You were once darkness. Darkness, that is what describes your life, not just on a superficial level, but at the foundation of who you are. You were darkness. But praise God for the but nows in Scripture. But now, you are light in the Lord. I can remember, I remember this, I can still see myself standing there. And this doesn't happen this way with everybody, but when I became a Christian, God made it real to me instantly. He, he came in that place and I was just flooded with tears. Uh, sometimes people are converted, they trust the Lord, and then later on God makes it real. But for me, God made it real right there. And I can remember... Uh, the exact clothes that I was wearing. I remember the hat that I was wearing, an ugly blue corduroy hat that I thought was the coolest thing that had ever existed. I remember my, my shirt, my pants. I remember I was wearing sandals. And I remember after I was converted and a few hours later, the realization of what had happened to me. I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking, I'm still wearing these clothes, but I feel so different. I'm different. I'm light. I'm light in the Lord. And so what Paul does now is based on that truth, he draws the application, the logical application. He says this, verse 8, walk as children of light. And then he spends verse 9 through verse 14 talking about the differences between darkness and light and then he gives an invitation to those that are still in darkness. Awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then, in verse 15, he summarizes everything that he's been doing so far and applies it. He makes the same application. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you see what... His will is, as Paul is stating it in this text. God's will for your life, from what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, is that you would be careful to walk as a child of light. That's God's burden for your life. That's what Paul's saying here. He doesn't emphasize these particulars. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what God's will is. God's will for your life is that you be like Christ. And so when I saw this, I asked the question, okay, I see this, this is pretty clear in this passage, but does the rest of the New Testament give this same emphasis? You know, is this kind of a a one-time thing that Paul did just for a specific situation there at Ephesus, or is this something as a pattern of emphasis that you see throughout the New Testament? And so... I studied the rest of the New Testament. I looked up every instance using a computer program and take a long time by hand of the word will. And there is a lot about will in the New Testament, let me assure you. Um, But as I studied this and as I began to search this out, I found that the New Testament overwhelmingly 
almost unanimously emphasizes that God's will for your life doesn't have to do with things primarily about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, or who you're going to do it with. God's will for your life primarily deals with things pertaining to holiness and becoming like Christ. So let me just give you a few representative examples of some of these uh, passages. I, I, I've wondered on this. I, I might not have you look them up. If, if you want these afterwards, I'll, I'll be glad to give them to you. Um, but let me say something really quick before we do this. Our tentative conclusion is, is that God's burden for your life is that you become like Jesus. But what I... And, what I want to emphasize, though, is that God is very concerned about who you're going to marry and where you're going to go to school and what you're going to do in life and whether or not you should go on a mission trip next summer and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God is concerned about those things. God is more concerned about those things than you could possibly believe. And God does have a will for them and God will guide you. But that's not the question we're actually asking this morning. We're asking what the New Testament emphasizes. And when we find that out, we're going to, hopefully, Lord willing, apply it. So let's look at some of these New Testament emphasis on the will of God. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So these people didn't do the will of God. And what was the will of God? Well, it pertained to things like practicing righteousness and holiness. They were doing absolutely everything but God's will. And so in this section in this passage it's very clear that God's will pertains to things like righteousness and holiness let me read you this one mark chapter 3 32 through 35 a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him behold your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you answering them he said who are my mother and my brothers looking at those who were sitting around him he said behold my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Clearly, this is in the context of just righteousness. Your life is given over to God, and that's synonymous with what God's will is in this passage. Let me read you this one, which just is quite amazing. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-3 Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is, God, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That helps. I, you know, that helps. It's like, uh, you just, could you please put it in clear terms? Okay, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. Holiness, becoming like Christ. That's the primary burden. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. You see the emphasis there? 
You can either live for the lust of men, you're just being driven along by your impulses and these things in this lower earthly sphere that characterizes your life, you're driven by those things, or you can have a life that is totally surrendered to the Lord, which is His will. You no longer live for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 1 John 2, 15-17 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You see what he's saying here? When he talks about the will of God, it's basically just synonymous with living the Christian life. One more. Hebrews 13, 20-21. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. You hear that? He's working in you His will, which is what is pleasing in His sight. So it pertains not primarily to these big kind of decision type things. It pertains primarily to things like bearing fruit and, and going on in holiness and things along that line. And so, clearly, clearly, and we could keep going, trust me. There's a lot on this in the Bible. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is in that same context. What the will of God is, is in that same context. There's a host of verses on this. And so we see that the, the primary emphasis of what God's will is for your life is that you become like Jesus, that you grow in holiness. Well, the question is, is well, what, what specifically does that look like? I mean, what, what are some examples? So let me give you some representative examples of God's will in specific areas. This is not exhaustive, just some examples. In the area of godly sorrow for sin, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but I, uh, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this, this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. You see, the, contra, you see the, the contrast here. God's will for your life is that when you fall into some sin and you are in repentance and you begin to feel sorrow for this sin, that it's not a worldly sorrow over the fact that you simply got caught. There's a deep-rooted sorrow over the fact that there has been a breach in your communion with the Lord. And what this, this godly sorrow that is God's will for your life produces is an earnest going, Lord, I have fallen, but now I'm going to run harder after this thing. That's God's will for your life. How about in the area um, of how you do your job? Ephesians 6, 5 through 6. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. And the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, 
not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That's amazing. So primarily speaking, God is not as concerned what you're going to do as a career as He is the way that you're going to do your career. Now that's amazing. And that can liberate you. Because all of a sudden, I can please Christ emptying my trash can. I can please Christ typing at ATSU. I can please Christ doing construction. Because God's primary primary will in this uh, situation as applied to how I do my job is that I do it in sincerity of my heart, not by way of eye, eye service as a man pleaser, but doing God's will with everything I've got in this situation. Again, it's not so much what I'm going to do, it's how I'm going to do it. It relates to fruit and holiness. Here's another uh, final example. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. So that God's will is that you would have a holy cheerfulness based on the finished work of Christ and His sovereign providence in your life. I know that everything that comes my way is from the hand of God, both good and ill, so I can rest in this. It says rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say I have to rejoice over in this thing over here. And if, if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, that means that what I'm rejoicing in is way up here, way beyond all my circumstances. So I can be in the worst circumstances, but I'm rejoicing up here. I'm rejoicing always. He says, pray without ceasing. So God's will is that you cultivate an attitude of dependence that manifests itself in a spirit of prayer. He says, in everything giving thanks. And again, this is just a submission about the things that God has brought into your life. And it's evident that you're thankful, that you're, you're um, pleased with what the Lord has done by this attitude of thankfulness. So again, these are the things that God's will for your life pertains to. So in summarizing, we see that you read the whole New Testament and you are going to have a really hard time finding any emphasis whatsoever that the thing that you're to be concerned about with God's will for your life are these particulars about where am I going to go, what am I going to do, and who am I going to do it with. The things that you find in the New Testament, the emphasis of the burden is that God's will is that I become like Jesus. That's God's will. Or to put it in theological language, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal of absolutely everything. That is what God is doing in your life. So, the question is, what does all this mean? What does all this mean? How then shall we live? Well, it means this. It means your life is very simple. Now, don't hear me wrong. Your life is not easy, but your life is simple. You have one thing to accomplish in life. You have one goal, one primary burden. There will be all these other things, but they are so subordinated under this one thing that we're not even discussing them right now. 
The main goal of your life is that you become like Jesus, that you cultivate holiness, that you let nothing get in the way. And so when I wake up each day, my agenda, my burden, my priority must be that I keep my heart warm for Jesus no matter what else happens to me that day. Because that's, the big, that's God's will for my life and that's where He's headed in Christ Jesus. What else does this mean? It means that I must put Christ first and trust Him with all of these other details. I must put Christ first and trust Him with all of these other details. Or to put this in biblical language, Matthew 6.33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Now that's a promise that you can anchor on. That's a big promise. You can put the biggest chain you got on that promise and hold on for dear life. And what it means is, is that if you do that, God is going to get you every place you're supposed to go. You're going to be there with every person you're supposed to be with. And you're going to do everything that you're supposed to do. You can trust God for that. Uh, beloved, this is so simple, but we don't... Uh, we just don't trust God often. We don't trust God. And at this point, I want to apply it specifically, like I told you I would do, to this whole um, issue of seeking marriage. Um, again, I don't think that you're going to have any trouble so far seeing how this applies to a lot of areas. A lot of areas. And I also realize that in saying some of these things, it raises a lot of questions about, okay, well, how do you do some of these particulars? You know, what, what does all of this look like? Um, maybe, maybe we'll talk about that afterward. Um, but I want to talk specifically, and I, I, just a burden that I have on this whole issue of seeking marriage. Um, not everyone's going to get married. As a general rule, you probably will. And it's no small haphazard thing. Um, as a general rule on this whole, even on some of this particular stuff, the greater the consequence of a decision, the more that you are going to want to know that you've got the mind of God in it. So in other words, when I woke up this morning, I ate my egg sandwich. I thank God for it, but I just ate my egg sandwich. I didn't pray through the various cereals that Charlie owns. Uh, I just ate the egg sandwich. That's what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't fret over it. I'm not stressed out or anything like that. But when it comes to bigger decisions, like what is my career going to be? I, I want to know more. I want more confirmation on the Lord that I've got His mind. So I'm, I, the primary thing that I'm doing on that route, I'm keeping my heart warm. That's the first and foremost thing I want to do is I want to make sure what happens oftentimes doesn't happen is that I get so engrossed in this thing that's happening that my heart grows cold. And then all of a sudden, I come to the Lord and want say, God, would you please guide me in this? And He wants to talk about my heart instead of talking about the career, and I want to talk about the career. And so what my primary thing is I'm keeping my heart warm, but I'm, I'm asking counsel and things like that. And so you see, the greater the decision that you're going to be making, the greater the consequences, um, just as a general principle. But when you're, when you're young and you're single and you hear some of these types of truths like seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness and God's going to work out these details, especially pertaining to the marriage, the first thing that pops into your mind is, well, if I concentrate all of my attention on Christ, if I'm just, I'm just got blinders on and I'm going in this direction, what if I miss what God has for me? 
You know, what if I'm so focused on this thing and I'm walking down this road and I've got both eyes on Christ that I don't, I miss something over here. And so the thought is, you know, I'm walking in this way, but I need to be glancing. I mean, you know, I could miss, I, I could miss something that God has for me and because I can't here, I'm dense on this whole thing of hearing God's will for my life. I'm so focused on this that I miss some wonderful stuff that God has for me. And so essentially what you're doing is you're trusting your ability to hear God more than His ability to speak and to orchestrate circumstances in such a way that even you would know it's God's will. That's what I preach to myself. And so this is important. The thought there is that you get to heaven and God, was saying, God says, I tried to tell you I had a wife for me, but you were so focused on becoming conformed to my son, you couldn't hear me. You think that's going to happen. And that's not going to happen. The thought is, the, the, the thing is, the fact is, is that you, for the great majority of people, if you determine, I am going to fix my eyes on Jesus, God's primary will for my life, what He's told me to do, is to become like Christ, to cultivate holiness, to keep my heart warm, and to make sure nothing gets in there to distract me. So what I'm going to do, especially in this situation of seeking marriage, is I am going to... I'm going all for Christ. I've got blinders on. I'm going all for the Lord Jesus. And I'm trusting that somewhere along the way, I'm going to bump heads with somebody. That's what happens when you do this. Now, you're thinking, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, right. Right. But I want to read you a, a, a story um, of Dan Smith here that really relates to this. This is about... Dan Smith, a uh, missionary over in the East. Um, this is about his engagement and being married and singleness and all of the above. The prospects of marriage were dim for me in East Yemen. There was no young missionary lady. He's overseas at this time, way over in a foreign lad, okay? Right, we'll, we'll talk about that soon. <laughs> Because you're thinking, Lord, if I go do missionary work, who, you know, how on earth would I get married? All right. There was no young missionary lady in the high mountain vastness among the Aborigines. I was a bachelor missionary, and marriage was as distant from my mind as girls were from my present circumstance. He's got his eyes focused on the Lord. Traveling some days' journey from my home in Salau, I came on the return to Wunting and to the home of the Simpkins. It was customary among the many missionaries to pray for the workers in each province after the morning or evening meal or after reading their names from the missionary directory. The Simpkins had just finished their evening meal and were reading the names of those in our own province when I slipped into the door to surprise them. As I did, I heard the name being read by Theo, Catherine McGlashan. In Christian experience, there are times when the Spirit of God makes a verse or a promise alive and applicable. It has your name on it, so to speak. It is directed to you in a personal way. Something of the same was now the case. That name charmed me. Whoever Catherine McGlashan was, I knew she was for me. There was a kind of inner registration from the Spirit of God at the verse at the top of the page for the day that was, I will give them one heart and one way. Kathy was in the west of the province working 
among the Chinese near, uh, near to where the Frasers, Coons, and others had labored in the high slopes among the Lisu of the Saline Valley. I was in the east of the same province among the Nosu. Before the Burma Road was built, 27 days' journey by horse, travel separated Kuming, the capital city lying in the east of the province, from Arion in the west, where Kathy had her home among the Chinese. I knew nothing of Catherine McGlashan, whether she was fat or slim or tall or short, pretty or homely, clever, clever or otherwise. I had no idea but I did have this inner registration of the Spirit of God that she was to be my wife. I asked no question and made no inquiries. Now, a lot of things can be said about subjective guidance. There's a lot of caution that you have to use. But as this story is going to turn out, it was God. And I've heard a lot of other stories. As a matter of fact, God did that for Rachel and us coming together two years uh, maybe even a year and a half before we even met. And she was said the same thing. She said, I had no idea whether he was fat or skinny or ugly. Unfortunately, I was. <laughs> Such is the grace of God. And so what, what's happening here, though, is this, there's this inner registration. This is, this is going to be God's woman for me. This is, this is, this is what God's going to do in my life. God's going to bring us together. And so now listen to what happens. Twelve months went by. The matter almost faded from my memory after a long time. Now, let's stop right there because you would think at that point he would at least send her a letter, even if you put it in totally spiritual terms, like, I just want you to be praying for me over here, Dan Smith, The Bachelor. <laughs> you know, at least, at least let her know, you know, I, I've got my light on open for business here, Okay. Doesn't send signals. No need to send signals. He's trusting the Lord. He's focused on Christ. He knows if I seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, all these things are going to be added to me. Twelve months goes by. The matter almost faded from my memory after so long a time. After all, there was no contact, nor had I ever seen anything written of her or by her. The Lord would have to bring us together. And suddenly, He stirred me up to remembrance of her. One day, a young missionary fellow came from the West. The need for dental work had brought him to the capital city of Kunming. Hearing of God's great movement among the Nosu, he decided to come the additional six days' journey north to see me. We had been in language school together and were good friends. As any young man will, he talked one night about his hopes of marriage. There were three young women out West, and it was his declared intention to propose to me, to propose to one of them, uh, to one of them on return. There were three young men in that area, and reason might well have concluded that they would come together in pairs. And whom have you chosen, brother, I asked. Catherine McGlashan, he said. All right, so now you can see the real temptation. I better just shoot off a letter just to say, hey, just to let you, just wanted to mention the missionaries in this area. I'm pretty close and I'm available. All right. You know, send some kind of signal here because God has, or at least I think God has impressed upon my heart. This is going to be my wife. And now this other guy is saying, I'm planning on proposing to this woman. But Dan didn't do that. Once again, there was that name. And once again, it came in that living way with assurance that Catherine was to be my wife. Even in the face of this challenge, I felt perfect peace in my heart. No questions were asked, and I still knew nothing more about her when my friend left than I'd known before. She was still a mystery. 
Twelve more months passed, and again the thought of her seemed to fade away. It was the time of the Nosu awakening. There were many meetings, calls, and demands, and life was tremendously thrilling but exhausting. Missionary friends in other places reported to headquarters in Shanghai that I was in need of a vacation. In due time, a letter arrived from the general director ordering a three-months rest at Chifu on the northeast coastal province of Shantung, where the CIM, China Inland Mission Schools, were located. This meant a six-day journey south by horse to Kunming. From there in those days, there was a train down through Vietnam to the port of Haiphong, a coastal steamer plied between Haiphong and Hong Kong, where I could transship and sail to the port of Chifu. When I arrived at Kunming, a telegram was awaiting for me from the general director. The port of Chifu was in the grip of a great ice freeze and closed to all shipping. The journey there would have to be postponed. By this time, the Burma Road was partly built, and it was possible to travel by bus from Kunming to the only city a few thousand residents in the Far East, Tali. A further telegram arrived suggesting that I do this very thing, go to Tali. I went, and in going, I greatly suspected the gentle hand of the Lord leading me to Kathy. He's not prying. He's not, you know, I gotta, you know, trying to leave options open, and, and I better just put a little bookmark here in case God wants to open this book later. He's just going on, and all of a sudden, God starts freezing oceans and things like that. Kathy and Stella Kirkman were in uh, Erwan, two days north of Tally. But it just so happened that in the Lord's providential arrangements that Mr. J.O. Frazier, the superintendent, uh, superintendent of West Union, had scheduled a workers' conference in Tally the very day I was to arrive. Had it been at any other time or had there been in no conference at all, I would have never met my Catherine. But the Lord's ways are perfect. And so it came about that when I arrived, in, that when I arrived all the missionaries were in Tally and Kathy too. And he goes on to talk about they were engaged in three days. And it's funny, he says, I don't know why we waited three days. It was Maybe it was like the resurrection day or something like that after this big, long saga. But the point is, do you see what happened in this story? Here's a guy who put Christ first. He wasn't you know, constantly trying to, yeah, but what, what if it's this girl? Or, or maybe I just need to send, you know, maybe something, some kind of signal or something. Not something huge, but just to put a little bookmark there, just in case God wants to open this. He says, no, he put Christ first, and then God began orchestrating events. Somewhere on down the road, he bumped heads with this girl, Catherine, and they get married. Now, I could multiply stories like this. This is not, as a matter of fact, you read J.O. Frazier's biography, the exact thing happened. There are, there are people, I can tell you stories from folks down in San Antonio, I believe there are folks from here, I know there are folks from Sedalia that have the exact same story. They weren't out constantly, you know, just trying to figure out, uh, you know, is this God's will, is this not God's will, um, as far as this girl, and you spend all this emotional stress on it, and you end up trying to manipulate the system just a little bit, just in case this is... Not doing that at all, just seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't waste your single years in pursuit of these relationships that can't go anywhere. If it's years before you're ever going to be able to get married, there's probably no reason to be thinking about it. 
give yourself to the things of God and trust Him. Tell Him, God, I want to get married. I want to get married. But your express will in your word is that I become like Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and I'm going to trust somewhere along the way, if you even have to freeze an ocean, you're going to do that to bring somebody in my life. And He will. He will. He will. So the general principle here is Psalm 84.11. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you're walking down the narrow way and you've got your eyes fixed on Christ and you haven't gotten somewhere you think you need to be or done something you think you need to do or met someone you think you need to meet, it's simply because it's not a good thing right now. And in God's time and God's way, more than likely He'll bring those things into your life. But you must trust Him. You must trust Him. So again, God's primary will for your life is that you become like Christ. And if you make this pursuit, this your pursuit, God's going to get you every place you're supposed to be, with every person you're supposed to be with, and you're going to do everything that you're supposed to do. It comes down to faith in the Lord. Faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray You'd help us, Lord, to seek first Your kingdom and Your righteousness, trusting that You are going to add things to our life that are good for us. You know us better than we know ourselves, Lord, and we, we need You. Lord, we need You to help us to give our attention to Christ and not to get distracted by lesser things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, hmm. Is there any are there any questions or comments on this? I, I realize that a lot uh, a lot of questions could probably be generated from this. Like, you know, am I just sitting in my dorm room and waiting for my praying, and I'm waiting for my advisor to knock on the door and say, "Aren't you going to declare archaeology as your major?" <laughs> uh, no, that's not it at all. As the, again. The general principle is, is on these subjective type things that we're talking about, these lesser type details, um, the greater the consequence of what you're going to do, the greater assurance that you want God to orchestrate and providentially bring these things in your life. So I'm not praying about what shoes that I put on. But when it comes to being married and things like that, which is irreversible, you, the, the magnitude of that decision, a wonderful thing, but in God's time and in God's way, I've got my head down, I'm following after Christ, and I'm trusting that He's going to open doors. God will get so creative with you, it will blow your mind if you trust Him. It will blow your mind. So are there any, are there any questions? I don't want to drag this out too long, but I definitely don't want to leave any confusion. Or any comments? Something I was thinking about while you were sharing, you gave the example of um, how God's desire is for you to be seeking Him, not seeking a particular situation. Mm -hmm. And I know in my own life, when it has been that way, where I am seeking the Lord, and then a decision comes up, I'm able to enter into the decision process really from a state of neutrality. Wanting to know what does God want. Absolutely. Whereas if I'm 
seeking the situation and then I need to go to God for guidance, I'm going with desires already. I want this, Lord. Please make it happen. Absolutely. It is really hard then when, if the answer is no, you're torn because you already had your mindset on that's what I want. Yeah. The biggest thing in this, one general, if you could just take away one thing, it's just be surrendered in everything that you have to the Lord. Just be totally surrendered like what David's saying. Um, so that when God does something, there's not this conflict. You're just, Lord, I just want your will. Whether we do this or whether we do that, I just, I just want your mind in this matter. Well, amen.